0: Amen. Amen. You can grab a seat, and uh, man, thank you, thank you, thank you for um, for coming in here this morning and uh, and just entering into worship. It was uh, just beautiful uh, to hear your voices singing and your hands raised, and um, and just to sense the, the the faith that's being taken hold of in these moments. And uh, it's just, it's honestly just stirred my heart with great affection and fresh affection for Jesus. Um, Welcome to Christ Church. If I don't uh, know you or haven't met you yet, my name is Brian Beamance. I'm the uh, lead pastor here and uh, I'm really thankful for this sermon series we're in right now. And so you can just get your Bibles and get them open to John chapter 14. Here we've got this series, Parting Words, the last sermon of Jesus. And the, the last two messages, including the message today, is... I'm really addressing uh, our troubled hearts and we know there's so many different ways that um, our hearts can get troubled and uh, so many different circumstances and situations and so thankful in week one we talked about how the future secures our troubled heart, that Christ has prepared his people a permanent place in his presence and then uh, last week Pastor Jeremy's message, a focus on who you know, not what you don't know. And today we're going to look at the power of purpose to minister to our troubled hearts. Let me just pray for this message and what God wants to do through it. Let's just pray right now. God, thank you. Our, Our word is opened and our hearts are ready to receive from you. And we believe that the power is in the word and we're asking that the spirit would bring it specifically to people's hearts and lives today for your glory. It's in Jesus' precious name that we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. This week I read an article uh, from 2019 that um, looked at um, the connection between uh, depression and lack of purpose. And uh, they pointed out that that oftentimes what's happening is is that um, what people are are getting diagnosed for as a biological depression, oftentimes they're finding that, that in the questions and in the counsel, they're missing the connection between depression and lack of purpose. And sometimes um, what presents even as a biological depression, they're finding that underneath it is a substantial reality that what's happening in a person's life is lack of purpose. And a declining sense of purpose and an incapacity to reach goals were oftentimes in these situations, as they were researching this, the primary cause of depression, not something biological. That the lack of purpose had got them in a place where now there were biological impacts playing out because of that. Now now listen, listen. Um, I, I am not up here to, to talk to you about the realities of how to diagnose biological depression. I'm just a reporting on a study that I read. But here's what I do know. Sec- the secular, psychological, and medical community will always struggle... Not with coming up with realities of how to maybe uh, diagnose realities of depression, but they cannot give you a secure purpose for your life. Everything we understand as the followers of Christ, a living underneath the truth of what Scripture has taught us, that everything in this world is under the, under the curse of sin, fallen and broken, right? Like we feel that, right? Come on, Somebody. Okay, okay, good. Just want to make sure I wasn't the only one up here. It's like, you guys are living a really good life. I got to figure out what you're doing. <laughs> and uh, here's what we know we know life is hard. And all the time, what happens is that people are chasing all of these different paths to try to find purpose. And they're chasing anything but God. And whenever that happens, in whatever form, it's called idolatry throughout Scripture. And it always fails, it never satisfies. It's a major uh, cause of heart trouble. Some of you are here this morning because there was an identity that you were chasing. There was a, a reality that you were trying to establish within your life. There were some ideal or goal that you were pursuing. And that reality had risen to number one in your life. And then when you didn't get it or you fell short, there was a response to that of your heart being troubled. Maybe it was an expectation of, something that was going to play out longer than it did. Maybe it involves uh, a change in career. Maybe it involves a loss of a loved one. Maybe it's a health situation. Whatever the circumstance might be, we wrestle with these things, and they bring trouble to our heart, don't they? So here's what we know. The followers of Christ know the power of purpose. They know that their primary purpose, when you understand the teaching of Scripture, is to glorify God above all things. And the power of purpose is revealed in John John 14, 8 through 14. Follow along with me. Philip said to him, Philip got a chance to speak because I guess Peter was still under the rebuke of that whole deny me thing. And so Philip was like, sweet, Peter's quiet. This is my chance. Lord, show us the Father and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long and you still do not know me, Philip? Philip's like, dang it, I should have let Peter talk. Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believed in me will also do the works that I do and greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father." Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Big move this morning. Live with one purpose. Glorify God. Live with one purpose. Glorify God. What do I mean by glorifying God? This is one of those uh, very churchy words that gets thrown around. One of my favorite definitions that I found this week in a processing through this was from John Piper who defined it this way, that glorifying God means, notice the first word, feeling, feeling, feeling and thinking and acting in ways that reflect his greatness, that make much of God. Notice there's not a lot of space for me in this definition that give evidence of the supreme greatness of all his attributes and the all satisfying beauty of his manifold perfections. Here in our church has a reflection of this definition so clearly taken from the pages of scripture that our purpose that led to the mission of our church being that we aim, desire to glorify God by loving God loving others, and making disciples of all nations. That's it. That's our mission. That's our purpose. So from this passage, I want you to see there's three moves to keep your focus on glorifying God. The first one, and this has to be the starting point, has to be the starting point. You can't go to two without one. First one, see the glory of the Father in the face of Christ. See it, witness it, Recognize this truth and what it does to your heart. Philip's statement in verse 8 is both profound and problematic. It was profound because he rightly understands that seeing the Father, look at what he says, will be, what's the word there? Enough. Enough has so much depth to this word. It means sufficient. It means enough in quantity or quality. It means adequate. Philip knows in light of the context about addressing the troubled heart. He knows that seeing the Father will be enough for my troubled heart. That that will stabilize my heart. I mean, you go all the way back to the Old Testament in Exodus 33, Moses asks God, please show me your glory. There it is again in the Old Testament. Moses knew that nothing satisfies the human heart like witnessing the glory of God. The comment by Philip is also not just profound, it's also problematic. Because he's asking Jesus to show us the Father. And Jesus is like, okay. In his perfect patience unlike the way sometimes our hearts can get in his perfect patience he's like this is the message I've been communicating to you again and again and again and again Philip and so he patiently and lovingly as a teacher should he reiterates it again he's, he's saying I, I've already revealed that I am God in human flesh if you see me you've seen the father And that leads to Christ's response in verses nine through 11. And Jesus declares again, I am the revelation of God. This is one of the most beautiful uh, revelations of what we know as the Trinity. That God distinct in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And you see Jesus pointing to that and revealing that as much as has been revealed. We're gonna talk about the third part in a second. The Spirit, but the glory of the Father is seen in Christ. So from that reminder, Jesus comes back to this call to believe. Believe me that I am in the Father, the Father is in me. Or else believe on account of the works themselves. He's like, you've got to believe in the unity between the Father and the Son. Understand that we're one. And and, and if you need to, just believe based on the works themselves. The works he's referring to here are the miracles that have been performed by Jesus. Jesus. Think about some of, them, some of those miracles from the Gospels, where they're turning water into wine, walking on water, raising people from the dead. All of those miracles had a purpose of revealing into a world that was increasingly confused about what was natural and supernatural, into that world Jesus is establishing through his miracles I am God. Miracles show us the, the power and majesty of a supernatural God who has invaded our world. That is an awesome revelation that Jesus gives. And when when you see the glory of the Father reflected in in, in, in the person of Christ, it will distract you from every other purpose. Whatever you truly value becomes your purpose, your primary purpose. Whenever you've, if you've been around somebody and and you maybe, maybe not like in the same household, but maybe a a neighbor or a, or a friend or even extended family, and you start to see a major shift in someone's life, sometimes in their tone or in their actions or, or in their career, a lot of different levels, you could start to see change and any sudden change of direction or focus shows you that their purpose has changed. There's something underneath that oftentimes follows what presents in their actions. And what you find is that something new has moved to number one on the value list. Someone starts to become, uh, a child starts to become really negative with with their parents and what they want them to do and they seem to have this allegiance to their friends. Something's changed. A purpose has changed. Here's the problem. Your value list can change day by day, sometimes even moment by moment. Anybody feel that in the midst of the day sometimes? Like like I I just realize how much my mind can wander and my flesh and heart can long for things. But here's what I know. You give time to what you value. If you want to know someone's purpose, see what they give their time to. Everything in our world is designed to capture your attention, and the opportunity for uh, for being distracted is certainly more than it was in past generations. Everything in our world is designed to capture your attention, to play to your desires, and direct your purpose. Do you follow that? To capture your attention, to play to your desires, and direct your purpose. The world plays to your flesh and offers you lesser purposes. But it still has some level of joy or satisfaction that you can feel in that, or else it wouldn't capture you. But what the world offers will only satisfy temporarily, and then it'll leave you with a troubled heart. I see it again and again and again. Again the gospel offers is so much better. When you see the glory of the Father in the face of Christ, it permanently takes the number one spot on your value list. All lesser purposes, when you get that right, when, when, when glorifying God is your number one hope and desire, all other lesser purposes are informed, directed, and defined by the highest purpose to glorify God. So here's what happens in the church sometimes. Outside in the world, they don't even care about God. And so whatever their highest purpose, their highest desire, their highest form of identification in the world, they put that to number one and they chase that. But in the church, what sometimes happens is we have these things that God values, right? Like I think about things like marriage or serving in the church or um, giving or all these different things, reading your Bible, praying, all these things that we can chase after. But even in the context of what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ, He's still, God's still gonna say to you, over all of it, glorify God. Over all of it, glorify God. And let the idea and the desire to glorify God filter into all of those things, is the only right way to understand it. Paul understood this. He saw the impact of seeing the glory of God in the face of Christ and how it transformed purpose. Look with me, 2 Corinthians 4 4 through 6. In their case, referring to unbelievers, the God of this world, that's the God of this world, Satan, the enemy, and all the ways that he works, has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. There it is, church. you see it? And then watch this. Watch, watch the purpose that comes out of this. For what we proclaim... What I'm speaking from my life is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord. With ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness has shown into our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. There it is. There is the statement of purpose that the gospel gives us. It starts though, notice, around that purpose statement is is, is that it starts with seeing the glory. It starts by by taking hold of not just truth statements about who Jesus is, not just a knowledge of verses, but there's a, a place where the word of God leads me to an encounter with the Son of God. And now when I see that, when I see the majesty and the beauty and the power of God revealed in the gospel of Jesus Christ, I am like taken by it. Like that's what I want to live for for promoting, proclaiming, making famous the person of Jesus Christ. And it's revealed in the gospel, in in Jesus' love, in his miracles, in his message, in his mercy, in his grace, in his death, in his resurrection. When the Spirit of God shines into your heart, and you see the the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ, the purpose of your life will never be the same. It actually does this thing where once you've taken hold of that and you put your faith in Christ, you try to chase after another purpose and so quickly you're like, ugh. Right, anybody had that? You like come to faith in Christ, you start chasing after another purpose, you're like, that, that, was, that seemed to be enjoyable a few years ago. Now it's like, ugh. I don't even want to chase that anymore. Here's the thing. It starts, this idea of seeing the glory of God in the face of Christ, it starts with the worship of God. Let me clarify for us this morning. Worship is anything that causes you to see the glory of the Father in the face of Christ. Do you remain long enough in your time in God's word to move from just reading lines on the page to where you've taken hold of the person of God and where it's a glory moment? Are you remaining in prayer long enough to... And learning to speak with a level of affection that's reflective of the God who has revealed himself to you and his love is set on you? When you worship to music, is it simply the beat and the familiarity and the sentimentality that cause you to go, oh, I love that song? Or is there something that starts to echo and reverberate around your mind and your heart that you're just like, that's my God. That's who I have relationship with. As we gather as the church of Jesus Christ, are we understanding that more than just being together for strength and encouragement, we understand the identity that we have in Christ as being brothers and sisters, and there's an affection and a depth in our relationship that's reflective of that. Worship is anything that causes you to see the glory of the Father in the face of Christ. And every time that you worship, every time you ascribe worth to God, every time you lift Him up, what you're doing is you're reestablishing and reaffirming glorifying God as your number one purpose. Why? Why do we need to gather regularly as the church? Because the reality of our flesh and our world, we need to have a place where we just go time out. Let's reaffirm and reestablish our number one purpose is to glorify God. Because it it also helps our troubled hearts. See the glory of the Father in the face of Christ. Live with one purpose. Glorify God. Then number two, this. Seize opportunities through the work of Christ. What are the works that Jesus is referring to here? What are the works? And what are these greater works that he's talking about? Now, I want you to know that some have wrongly used this idea of greater works to say that and to teach that people now, after Jesus, Are supposed to do miracles exactly like Jesus did and even greater miracles. I know that. I've heard the teaching on this. Now, I certainly believe that Jesus is still, God in all of his fullness and greatness and might is still doing miracles today. Amen? He's still leading people to him, he's still opening the, uh, the, the blind eyes of unbelievers to come to faith in Christ, he's still transforming them through sanctification, he's doing all of those things. I've been in situations where I've, where I've heard testimonies of, of people feeling like they, and knowing they got a diagnosis, and then God healing them, and so many different things, both physical and psychological, and all sorts of things. But I don't believe the purpose of this passage has anything to do with the specific type of works being done. How can I conclude that? Look at the end of verse 12. He's talking about these works that you're going to do and the greater works than these. And then at the end of verse 12, he says, Because I am going to the Father. In his reference about works, he's like, these are going to happen because I'm going to the Father. There's, so there's something about the implication of Him going to the Father that leads to these works and the greater works. What Jesus is looking to is He's looking to His ascension after His resurrection. And after Jesus was resurrected, He ministered for a number of days and then He ascended to the right hand um, of the throne of God and He's reigning over all. And then what happened early in Acts? He sent what? He sent the Spirit. He sent the Spirit. And and so God's plan to increase his glory, because that's his heart and desire, was exponentially realized through Jesus ascending, sending his Spirit now, the representation of the Godhead into the hearts of the individual believers. Why? To spread his glory around this world to the ends of the earth through the church. The work of the Holy Spirit empowers the gospel to spread quickly through the church of Jesus Christ and exponentially. That's the greater work. That's the work that Jesus was already doing and that was the work that was gonna extend it, was to announce that the kingdom of God had entered into the world. The works, hear this, are living and proclaiming the message of the gospel to the lost world. Listen, miracles, if somebody was dead and then raised again like Lazarus, he still died. The the, the purpose of that miracle even was to proclaim the reality that Jesus is God so that someone could put their faith in Christ so then that person could live for eternity. The, The message of the gospel is always the end in all of this. The kingdom of God was, 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 was introduced by the person of Jesus Christ in the gospels, in his ministry, but he was God in human flesh. But for the gospel to exponentially expand, Jesus ascended, his wisdom, not mine. I'm really happy for that, by the way. A lot of levels. Jesus ascended to reign over all, and the Holy Spirit was sent into the heart of every believer to supernaturally accomplish this purpose. Have you thought about, I was thinking this week about the power of this, the greater work that this is. I was thinking about the multiplication of opportunities for the gospel to spread and to have influence because Jesus went to the Father and sent his Spirit. At any time right now in our world, there can be thousands of people led by the spirit to share Christ with someone. Right now it could be it is. I'm positive. It's happening in maybe around the world or at 5 p.m. in somewhere in Europe or over dinner. Someone's talking about Jesus, declaring him, the Spirit opening up an opportunity and giving them the courage to share Jesus with someone. That's glory to God. At any time the, the Spirit could be leading Right now, certainly thousands of people in conversation with one another, maybe speaking a, a, a spirit-led word of encouragement to someone from the scriptures and ministering to their heart and soul as a follower of Jesus Christ, as a brother and sister in Christ, that is glory. Right now, just in, just in our area, the spirit of God working to, to guide and to direct and open hearts and to use God's word, thousands of hearts having the opportunity to respond to the preaching of God's word, that is glory to God. Exponentially because of the work of the Holy Spirit. In your life, the purpose that comes when you you see the glory of of the Father in the face of Jesus Christ, the, the next move that happens after that purpose, after that experience secures glorifying God as your number one purpose, after that you're just like, God, would you just help me to seize the opportunities that you put in front of me? If your faith is in Jesus, the essential elements of the gospel are known by you and you have the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. Seize the opportunities God has placed in your life. Let me encourage you to start in your home. Start in your home. The beautiful way that I love to view the church is that the church is made up of households and when god reigns in households the 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 volume of god reigning in the church is going to be evident start your ministry in your home there's gospel opportunities everywhere there in your neighborhood your relationships at work. You know what I love to hear all the time when I meet new people in our church is so often in the way, when I ask them, how did you come to church or how did you come to faith in Christ? Like, how did you end up here and how did God grab a hold of your heart? So many times I hear the testimony of a faithful friend. I hear the testimony of a co-worker or a neighbor or a family member who just faithfully proclaim the gospel. Yes, there's those anomalies where somebody's like, yeah, I went to bed one night, not a believer. I had a dream about Jesus, woke up, accepted Christ. My life's never been the same. Those happen. They're miraculous. But the mean, the middle, the majority happens through God doing what he planned to do by sending his spirit into the lives of individual believers so that exponentially the work of God could expand. You are called to be a representative of Christ. And if you want purpose for your life that is going to help your troubled heart, sometimes right in the midst of the times when my heart is troubled, I'm just like, I I don't even feel like I have the energy or the faith to take another step. Sometimes in those places, I'm just like, God, just help me to seize the opportunities that are right in front of me. Help me just to be faithful. There's some seasons in the last four or five years when a lot of people serving in ministry wanted to quit, and a lot of people did. But there is something that just goes, man, I just want to simplify this, and I just want to seize the opportunities and live into the greater works by representing Christ. I want to simplify this for you. I want you just to focus on two things when you think about seizing opportunities. Two words, serve and share. Serve and share. Serve and share. Serve with the gifts that God's given you. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you've been given spiritual gifts. Just serve. Just serve one another. Find a place, serve, and share. Share the gospel. Listen, the more that you see the glory of the Father in the face of Christ, it will deepen the richness of your ability and opportunity to share the gospel but if you've just come to Jesus Christ yesterday, there is something about your knowledge of who God is, that you're sinful and fallen, that Jesus is the substitution. He died on the cross in your place, that you believed in him and put your faith in him and gave your life to him, and the work of the Spirit wants to bring new life to you, you have enough to share the gospel. So look to share it. Look to serve. Look to share This is one of the reasons this idea of seizing opportunities is why the leadership of our church has been working hard behind the scenes. We shared with you a few weeks ago our vision frame and uh, the things that are sort of helping us align what we want to be as a church. And we're preparing um, and working and studying and processing and praying on what it looks like to have a more intentional focus on making disciples in our church. Some of these conversations will lead to things that we're going to share with our church towards the end of the summer, into the fall. Training studies is going to start this fall. We're not not hiding from the world as disciples of Jesus Christ. We're going to be a people that are being taught and trained so we can follow Christ faithfully to, to serve and to share, to support and care for the broken and the hurting more broadly. Who's for that this morning? Like, let us chase that. So many peripheral things a church can chase after. And we just want to be a place that's training people up to serve and share. Serve and share. Seizing opportunities given through the work of Christ. Because Jesus in this passage has said there are greater works that we can live into. And let us be faithful to that. Live with one purpose. Glorify God. Seize opportunities given through the work of Christ. Then this last one. Seek God to align with his purpose. The last two verses show you uh, how God has orchestrated prayer to help align you with God's purpose. To access the power to glorify God. I love how D.A. Carson said it. He said, the disciples' fruitful conduct, their way of living, is the product of their prayers. Prayers offered in Jesus' name. Glorify God by seeking God to align with his purpose. Ask in the name of Jesus. Now, what does that mean? Does that mean you just pray whatever you want The end. you're like, in the name of Jesus, done. Is that the way it goes? Is that what your prayer life is? I don't know, that's not how my prayer life goes. The idea of praying in Jesus' name means that my prayers are informed by what he has communicated to us. It means that when I say, In Jesus' name, I have a knowledge that what I'm praying is in line with with the ways, the will, and the wisdom of God. So let's break that down. First, the ways of God. The ways of God is the character of God we see revealed in his word. It's his character. It's the way we see him working. It's the whole reality that I just illustrated that that God has been orchestrating this beautiful, um, redemptive story that he wants to invite us into. His will, his specific direction that's revealed in his word. His will are those places where he's directly like, hey, 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 um, uh, pray for one another. You're like, I don't know if I should be praying with one another. Well, the will of God is for you to pray for one another. When it, when it says to, to, to love one another, he's not being like, well, I'm, I'm just going to choose who I love. No, he's like, love one another. When he calls us to forgive, that's part of his will. We don't have options. We don't negotiate with his will. Wisdom. Wisdom is the careful application of biblical principles to every area of life. When you start to understand that God owns everything, that he's over everything, that he rules and reigns, that he's the giver of all good gifts, then if whatever I have, this wisdom principle says I should be a good steward. So like my time... My talents, my treasures are all things that God's given me, and I want to be a good steward with him. That's wisdom. That's biblical wisdom. We find out what is in his name by consulting his word. This is one of the beauties and the outcome of knowing God's word more deeply. But too often what happens is is that we misunderstand the word and we're led away from God's purpose because we consult it wrongly. So let me give you some incorrect ways to um, consult God's Word and then um, I'm going to cue you into a tool we gave you this morning that will help you consult God's Word rightly. Incorrect ways to consult God's Word. First, check the list. Now listen, I, I love and I utilize um, a, a sort of reading guide for my time in God's Word. I, I've been doing it for decades now in different forms. And, uh, and if you want to know some of the plans that I think are great, Feel free to connect with me anytime on that. But here's the thing. It's incorrect just to check the list. Well, you know, I'm going to benefit from God's word if I just read and check, read and check. I just, I just read the words on the page, check it off the list. Done. Sweet. I'm killing it right now. Like I'm so ready to go. Uh, that's missing it. Two, flip randomly. Just pick your Bible up and go, you know what? I think I'm going to read Ezekiel 19. That's a really bad flip, by the way. (laughs) If you don't get in the context of Ezekiel, God bless you. Um, So flip randomly isn't going to do it. Third, neglect the Spirit. If the Spirit of God has been deposited in my heart, I probably should access the Spirit and attune my heart to the Spirit by praying as I open God's Word, as I try to do every time I open God's Word to read it. God, would you just lead me to something that would convict me or reveal who you are or let me see you more clearly or draw more quickly to you. You can't neglect the Spirit. Four, stay at the surface. Stay at the surface is when you read it and you're like, yeah, I don't really understand that word. On to the next verse. <laughs> I don't really understand that word either. On to the next verse. This Bible, it's so confusing because you, you didn't try to understand it. You can't stay at the surface. You've got to give space and time to study it over time steadily. Don't be intimidated by that Five, ignore the context. This is when we take verses out of context and we're like, oh, that's what it means. And we don't read the verses around it. The context is what helped us understand that this entire passage was about and addressing troubled hearts. And it gave it power and perspective. Don't ignore the context of the individual chapter, the book, the genre, the bigger reality of the Bible. Don't ignore the context. Then six, adjust for the world. This is a bad thing to do in consulting God's word. This is, hold on, the world says something and it's different, so I'm going to take God's word and I'm going to adjust it to fit with the world. My goodness, so much pain because that happens. So much pain. So, much, so many people disappointed with the gospel because they tried to make the gospel fit the world as opposed to viewing the world through the lens of the gospel. And suddenly, everything, our perspective on the world is shaped by the gospel being my lens. That is my ultimate authority. And that will be tested in our world, particularly today. Seven, forget the gospel. Forget the gospels to forget that, that, that what you're reading is an unpacking from, from Genesis all the way to Revelation of the redemptive plan of God. The, the, the revelation of God and what the, the glory and the presence of, 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 of God perfectly in Eden was lost because of sin. And then all of these attempts to try to satisfy God's wrath and again and again and again failure to the point where God was like, Jesus sent died on the cross to satisfy the wrath of God and forgiveness and relationship with him communicated through the new covenant and the rest of the bible into all the way into and all the way up to today uh, a god unfolding his plan for the church of Jesus Christ and his expansion of his glory exponentially until he comes again <laughs> that's it and we can't forget the gospel the good news of that so to help you this morning as you came in you got that a summer bible challenge card and, and this is just a helpful guide that we wanted to put in the hands of our church. And we do this in different forms uh, uh, over and over again because we want to bring you back to the simplicity of just, here's a challenge and a plan to read God's Word. And if you look at the, the, the verses in that passage, they are the, this, this parting words of Jesus. And we want you to go back to it and process through it personally it's a helpful guide to teach you and train you to consult God's word. This fall we're going to have a class on how to study the Bible to offer that even more extensive study and time together on that. But right now, I just encourage you to get a journal, start a document on a computer, a note on your phone, I don't care. And follow the guide each week to slowly and carefully consult God's word in the way that God's called us to. And on the back of your card, it's got a breakdown of what it means to highlight and then to explain and then to apply God's word and then respond to it personally. And I encourage you to go slowly, carefully. Each four four of those could be one day with the Lord slowly sort of finding yourself going deeper and unveiling or revealing God's beauty and power in his word for you personally. Take notes, learn to consult God's word. Here's what starts to happen when you consult God's word rightly. This is the power that Jesus is talking about when he says, Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. When you understand what God is teaching you in his word, when you know it is in his name, there will be a confidence that your prayers will have because you'll become aligned with God's purpose. I believe that one of the things that that God wants for us in prayer is in prayer we start to ask things and we start to see, and even sometimes even I've been convicted of this. No, 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 that's not in line with God's word. And my prayers change so that there's a point where I'm like, I know that that is in his name. And there's a confidence that I have in his directions. And when I have confidence in the directions of what it means for something to be in his name, it gives me a confidence that I'm headed in the right direction. Like right now, if somebody came to me and I was like, man, there's some emergency at home and I've got to drive home, I could drive to my house effortlessly. I don't have to think about the directions. Like how many of you have gone from work to home and you've been like, I don't even know how I got here, but I'm here. It's a little scary for the quality of our driving. Agreed. Agreed. Sometimes I'm like I I I think I probably should have been a bit more attentive. But if I was coming to your house for lunch or dinner and you were giving me directions, I didn't know how to get to your house. I'd have to like get it on my phone and I'd be careful in every direction I would go, I'd be making sure that I made the right turn to get to your house. But if I did it 50 times, I'd be confident I could get to your house a variety of ways and paths to get there. There's no directions needed. And if you pray not knowing that what you're asking is in his name, then your prayers will lack confidence. But when you start to know that what you're praying is honoring to God, is glorifying to God, there is a reality and a confidence that begins to well up. And there's a move that even begins to happen in your prayers, where in prayer God's aligning you with his purpose or realigning you. And then you start to get in this place where you're like, I know that what I'm praying is right and true, and I know that God will respond, and I know it's only a matter of timing. And I know that it may not come now, but it may come later. There may be realities that I may not understand that are playing out in my life, but I know God will answer these prayers. Consulting God's word helps your prayers align with God's purpose. Seek God to align with his purpose. It gives a confidence to our prayers. Live with one purpose, glorify God. See the glory of the Father in the face of Christ. Seize opportunities given through the work of Christ. Seek God to align with his purpose. So let me close by giving us another opportunity just to process with the Lord right here today. So this is the question I want to put in front of you. What purposes are you chasing that are not promoting the name of Christ. I want want the Spirit of God to provoke us. I, I want the Spirit of God to convict us on these things. To see the things that we have become satisfied with instead of God. We were processing with our staff around this point, and there's so many things that some of us, they're even even good things. They're things that we love to do, rather hanging out around the pool with family or taking our family and friends out on a boat or playing golf or, or doing projects around the house or whatever it might be. But am I chasing that? That is my number one purpose. Or is my number one purpose promoting the name of Christ? Some things in your life might need to be point blank eliminated. Some things might just need to be corrected or lessened or redeemed. I want you in the next few moments just to listen carefully to the Spirit of God. I want you to look at places where your heart is troubled. And ask yourself the question, have my prayers been aligned with God's purpose? The likely reality when we understand our troubled heart is that there's places where we've been worshiping the creation more than the creator. There's places where we've been worshiping self instead of the saviour. So just for a moment, let's just bow our heads and maybe if you want to, open your hands before the Lord. And what we're asking in these moments is, God, would you, would you convict our hearts, Holy Spirit? Would you, in the way that you work individually in our lives, would you open our eyes to the light of the glory of God in the face of Christ? Would we hear the call to seize opportunities and pray with confidence like never before? Let's just seek God now and then I'll close in prayer in a few moments. Jesus, come and fill this room through your spirit. Spirit of God, speak to your children. Speak to my brothers and sisters in Christ right now. Let us see our priorities. Let's make a faith move to move glorifying you back to number one. Lead us, God, this moment. God, I pray that we would find in silence and solitude the work of the Spirit of God so clearly. God, too often the greatest hindrance to our satisfaction, the healing of our troubled hearts is that we just don't stop. It's my desires and my thoughts and my opinions and my view and my perspective that clouds my ability to even think and rest and find peace in you. The tyranny of the world's messages bombarding us all the time, directing our desires and hearts and compelling us to live for a purpose that's always, always, always lesser than to glorify you. My heart feels it, God, and Wrestles in it as much as anyone. But I also got him deeply familiar with the beauty and the power that falls upon the people of God when their number one purpose is to glorify God. God, we can't have one message to return us to it. We need moments, we need a posture of our heart that longs for this. We need to see the glory of God in the face of Christ and, and come back to it again and again and again because it's in that moment of worship where we're like, I want you number one. And So do that even before someone would leave today, but help them to see that they're gonna need it regularly throughout their week, moment by moment. A faith commitment that endures where, where you are, are, are Jesus Christ, our Lord. Help us to, out of this revelation of you, to seize the opportunities that you've given us and to, and to pray with greater confidence as we seek you and, and discover you in your word. God, do this work that I cannot do but I desperately want for my brothers and sisters in Christ and desperately want even increasing measure in my own life. God, Come teach us in a world with so many different purposes and so many different identities being lived out and promoted and fought for that let us live with one purpose to glorify you help us even now God to declare that as we sing this song it's in Jesus name we pray, amen